السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners Once again we gather for the monthly tafsir of the Holy Quran Having started from the last surah and moving backwards, we've now reached Surah number 92, Surah Al-Layl. This surah is known as Surah Al-Layl, Surah Wal-Layl, and Surah Wal-Layl Ida Yaghsha, by all three names. Allow me to read through the Arabic of the surah and give a very simple translation first and then inshallah we'll delve into its commentary. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim wal layl idha yaghsha by the night when it covers wal nahari idha tajalla and by the day when it manifests itself or when it appears bright وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَى and by the creation of the female and the male or by the creation of the male and the female إِنَّ سَعْيَكُمْ لَشَتَّى indeed your effort is diverse. فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى So as for one who gives and who fears, وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى and who attests to good, to the good. فَسَنُيَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى Then we shall ease him unto ease. وَأَمَّا مَنْ بَخِلَ وَاسْتَغْنَى And as for one who is miserly and deems himself independent. وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَى And who belies the good. فَسَنُيَسِّرُهُ لِلْعُسْرَى Then we shall ease him unto difficulty. وَمَا يُغْنِي عَنْهُ مَالُهُ إِذَا تَرَدَّى 
and his wealth will not save him. When he falls, Indeed, it is upon us to guide. And indeed, to us belongs the afterlife and the former life. فَأَنذَرْتُكُمْ نَارًا تَلَظَّى So I have warned you of a fire that flames. لَا يَصْلَاهَا إِلَّا الْأَشْقَى Will not enter it except the most wretched one. الَّذِي كَذَّبَ وَتَوَلَّى He who belies or rejects and turns away. وَسَيُجَنَّبُهَا الْأَتْقَى And that's one who fears, or the most fearing one, the most fearing one will be saved from it. He who gives his wealth, seeking purity. And there is not for anyone by him, a favor to be repaid. Except for the seeking of the countenance of his Lord the Most High, and he will be pleased. This is a simple translation of the whole of Surah Al-Layl. It's a very early Makkan Surah, Revealed in the earliest days of the Prophet Wasallam's prophethood in Makkah al-Mukarramah. It's a very famous surah. Many of us will have probably heard it in Isha Salah, read by many imams. And we ourselves may have memorized it and frequently recite it. In fact, it's one of those surahs which the Prophet Wasallam actually instructed Mu'adh ibn Jabal to recite Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim alayhima, both relate that a laborer from Medina one of the companions who used to work hard during the day and labor he returned late at night and arrived at the masjid and joined Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu an in salah. Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu an started reciting Surah Al-Baqarah. So he actually turned around and left. Later, Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu an, when he met him, he rebuked him and scolded him since he had left salah. So that companion went to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and complained to him that Mu'adh ibn, this is what happened. He said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, we are laborers. We work and toil during the day. And by evening we are extremely tired. So I happened to join Mu'adh in Salah. And he started Surah Al-Baqarah. So I was unable to remain with him. And then he scolded me he when he complained to him 
Mu'adh ibn Jabal had very harsh words with him. So he complained to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Rasulullah alayhi salatu wa salam turned to Mu'adh ibn Jabal and said to him, Afattamun anta ya Mu'adh. O Mu'adh, do you seek to cause trouble? And then he said to him, Why don't you read in Isha Salah instead of reciting Surah Al Baqarah, etc.? You could have, why don't you read Sabihisma Rabbika Al A'la or Washamsi Wa Duhaha or Walayli Ida Yarsha? So it's one of those surahs which the Prophet actually instructed. Sayyidina Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anhu to read in Isha Salah. So many of us are familiar with this surah. It's a very early Makkan surah. And the, the main topics of the surah are as follows. Allah <coughs> makes clear that ultimately in terms of <coughs> effort and endeavor, in terms of work and deeds, in terms of people striving in this world, ultimately there are just two groups of people. And subsequently, in the hereafter, in terms of destiny and salvation or perdition, ultimately there are only two groups of people. Those who will attain salvation and those who won't. And those who will attain salvation in the hereafter. And those whose efforts and whose endeavor, works and deeds are commendable in this life. There are three qualities that they possess. Three things that describe them. And conversely, those who will not attain salvation in the hereafter, but who will actually perish. And whose efforts and endeavor in this world is futile and meaningless. Those people are characterized by three qualities, too. And just as there is a stark contrast between night and day, there is a similar contrast and a great distinction between these two groups of people, their characteristics and qualities, their works and deeds, their whole effort and endeavor in this life. And there is an equal contrast between between these two groups in the hereafter, when it will come to the question of salvation or perdition or damnation. So this is the main theme of the first part of the surah. And then, with a continuing description of these people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes how, describes the qualities and the characteristics of both groups in some detail. So let's begin. Allah says, by the night when it conceals. And by the day 
when it manifests itself, when it appears in its full glory, in its brightness. وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَى And by the creation of man and woman. In these three verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by three things. One is the night, number two, the day, and number three, the creation of man man and woman. Now the first two, as is common in many surahs, and as I've explained on numerous occasions, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduces and prefaces an important announcement with a number of oaths. Sometimes he swears by himself, sometimes by the creator, sometimes by the creation, by objects of his creation, by certain phenomena. And here again he's done the same. Allah swears by the night and by the day. I explained two months ago in Tafsir of Surah Al-Duha that to us this may seem rather routine and simplistic, swearing by the night and by the day. But as I explained on that occasion, the night and the day, their alternation, they're blending into one another. They're beautiful and harmonious cycle. And this whole phenomenon of time, of night and day, and all that they contain, these are all part of the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And only the intelligent can appreciate I went into some detail then, so I won't repeat myself. But here again, Allah swears by the night and day. In fact, we have a few surahs all close to each other. The surah before this was shamsi wa duhaha. By the night and by, sorry, by the sun and its mid-morning brightness. idha talaha. And by the moon when it follows the sun. nahari idha jallaha. And by the day when it reveals the sun, and by the night when it conceals the sun. And in this surah, by the night and when it conceals, and by the day when it appears. And in the next surah, by the mid morning brightness. And by the night, when it settles in its darkness. And these are just three consecutive surahs. In many verses throughout the Qur'an, Allah has sworn by night and day, and Allah has spoken of night and day and their beauty. So by the night, when it conceals, and by the day, when it appears in its full brightness and glory. The third thing which Allah swears by is... وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَى And by the creation of man and woman. This was a great event in itself. And here Allah swears by the actual creation of man and woman. And Allah doesn't just say insan, man or human. But Allah specifies 
man and woman. And remember, this is a very early surah, one of the earliest surahs. In fact, according to many narrations, Surah Al-Layl was the ninth surah to be revealed to the Prophet So in the very early days of Mecca, and yet even then, Allah makes a distinct mention of both man and woman. And this is a pattern to be observed throughout the Qur'an. Allah speaks of men and women individually. Allah has created them individually. Allah has sent them into this world individually. Both man and woman have their individual paths and journeys in this life. And both shall depart individually. And man and woman will be singularly, but equally accountable for their deeds before Allah on the day of reckoning. No one shall cover for anyone else. Not even the prophets of Allah will be able to cover for their own wives. Each will stand before Allah responsible for their own deeds, accountable individually. And this is something mentioned throughout the Qur'an. For both good and bad, where Allah promises rewards, Allah promises rewards for good deeds, not just to men, but to men and women. And both are mentioned quite clearly. In one verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal nasu inna khalaqnaakum min dhakarin wa untha, wa ja'alnaakum shu'uban wa qaba'ila lita'arafu inna akramakum indallahi adqaakum. In Surah Al-Hujarat, Allah says, O people, indeed we have created you. Min dhakarin wa untha, from one man and one woman. This was something momentous, something important enough to be highlighted again and again in the Qur'an, just as here, وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَىٰ and the creation of man and woman. So in that verse, Allah says, O people, O people, we have cre- indeed we have created you from one man and one woman. وَجَعَلْنَاكُمْ شُعُوبًا وَقَبَائِلٌ And we have made you into nations and tribes so that you may come to know one another. You may identify one another. As for who's good, who's bad, as for who's better, between man and woman, who is superior between man and woman, between nations and tribes, which gender is superior, which gender is inferior, who is better, which tribe is the best, which nation is better, Allah answers all of these questions in the next three words. In the next few words. Inna akramakum indallahi adqaakum. Verily the most honored amongst you, the most noble amongst you by Allah is the one of the most taqwa amongst you. The most fearing of Allah. The most conscious of Allah. It is only taqwa which marks a person in the sight of Allah. No colour, no complexion, no race, no ethnicity, not even gender, makes a person better in the sight of Allah. What does give a person value in the sight of Allah is taqwa. That's what 
dignifies a person. That's what makes them noble. That's what makes them honored in the sight of Allah. And throughout the Quran, Allah speaks of deeds. This is why there's no real, regardless of the spouse, the husband, the partner, regardless of the family, each one is individual for their own deeds. The wife is not responsible for the husband, and the husband is not responsible for the wife. The husband's piety, in many ways, may influence and rub off because of company on the wife, and vice versa. But when it comes to accountability and responsibility, each is responsible for their own deeds and misdeeds. Asiya, the wife of Fir'aun, Pharaoh, was not responsible for her husband's rebellion against Allah. And he did not benefit, and he will not benefit, in the hereafter, because of her piety. The wives of the Prophets Lut and Nuh were not saved because their husbands were Prophets of Allah. And this was a warning given to the wives of the Prophet ﷺ in Surah Al-Tahreem also, where all of this is mentioned. Part of the message was that you are individually responsible. And the fact that the Messenger of Allah ﷺ is your husband will not be a means of salvation in itself. That's why in Surah Al-Ahzab, Allah addresses them by saying, يَا نِسَاءَ النَّبِيَّ لَسْتُنَّكَ أَحَدٍ مِّنَ النِّسَاءِ إِنِ اتَّقِيْتُنَّ O wives of the Prophet, you are quite unlike other women. But not just by virtue of, of your being the wives of the Messenger. No, but on one condition, إِنِ اتَّقِيْتُنَّ If you adopt taqwa. So even for the wives of the Prophet wasallam, what would have marked them and what gave them a privilege and superiority over other women would have been taqwa. So each individual is responsible. And this is why Allah throughout the Qur'an, contrary to the belief that women are not mentioned or referenced in that manner, especially in relation to reward and deeds, contrary to that, Men and women have been mentioned separately on numerous occasions throughout the Qur'an. Very clearly and very distinctly. In one verse, وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِنَ الصَّالِحَاتِ مِنْ ذَكْرٍ أَوْ أُنْثَى فَأُولَٰئِكَ يَدْخُلُونَ الْجَنَّةِ وَلَا يُظْلَمُونَ نَقِيرًا And whoever performs good deeds of man or woman, then these they shall enter Jannah, and they shall not suffer any injustice, even to the degree of Naqeer. Naqeer is a dot on a date stone, meaning even very little. In another verse, مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحٍ مِنْ ذَكَرٍ أَوْ أُنْثَى وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ فَلَنُحْيِيَنَّهُ حَيَاةٌ طَيِّبًا and whoever does good of man or woman whilst being a believer then we shall 
give them a beautiful life. And we shall reward them for the best of what they do. There are countless other verses. And in fact, in Surah Al-Ahzab, again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions very clearly, إِنَّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَالْمُسْلِمَاتِ وَالْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ وَالْقَانِتِينَ وَالْقَانِتَاتِ وَالصَّادِقِينَ وَالصَّادِقَاتِ وَالصَّابِرِينَ وَالصَّابِرَاتِ وَالْخَاشِعِينَ وَالْخَاشِعَاتِ وَالْمُتْصَدِّقِينَ وَالْمُتْصَدِّقَاتِ وَالصَّائِمِينَ وَالصَّائِمَاتِ وَالْحَافِظِينَ فُرُوجَهُمْ وَالْحَافِظَاتِ وَالذَّاكِرِينَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا وَالذَّاكِرَاتِ أَعَدَّ اللَّهُ لَهُمْ مَغْفِرَةً وَأَجْرًا عَظِيمًا Verily, submitting men and women, Muslim men and women, and believing men and believing women, and humble and devout men and humble and devout women, and truthful men and truthful women, and patient men and patient women. And those men who humble themselves, and women who humble themselves. And those men who give in charity, and those women who give in charity. And those men who fast, and fasting women. And those men who guard their chastity and purity, and those women who guard their chastity and purity. And those men who remember Allah often, and those women who remember Allah often. For all of them, Allah has prepared for all of them forgiveness and an immense reward. And this is repeated throughout the Qur'an. In fact, in towards the end of Surah Al-Ahzab, not speaking of reward but for punishment, Allah Azzawajal says, لِيُعَذِّبَ اللَّهُ الْمُنَافِقِينَ وَالْمُنَافِقَاتِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ وَالْمُشْرِكَاتِ وَيَتُوبَ اللَّهُ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ So that Allah may punish. This is a continuation of the preceding verses. Allah says, so that Allah may punish those men who are hypocrites, hypocritical men and hypocritical women, and pagan men and pagan women. And Allah may relent to and turn in mercy to believing men and believing women. So throughout the Qur'an there are many instances of men and women being mentioned distinct, distinctly, individually, with their own responsibilities. And it's been made very clear that each is accountable for his and for her own deeds. So here also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَىٰ And by the creation of man and woman, having sworn upon the night, when it conceals everything in its darkness, having sworn by the day, when it manifests itself in its full glory, and having sworn upon the momentous event and the phenomenon of the creation of both man and woman, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Allah says, Inna sa'yakum lashatta. Indeed, your endeavor is diverse. Your effort is diverse. Which means, whilst we as humans live on the earth, we're always doing something. We all have a goal. Not in the not in the religious sense, but individually, we all have a goal. We all have an objective. 
We have plans, we have goals, we have, we have objectives, we have targets that we set for ourselves. We strive, we work, we make an effort. We endeavour. We attempt to do things. We follow a path and a pattern. A tradition and a routine. We're all going somewhere, doing something. We don't just live idly. Everyone is doing something. Everyone is making an effort. And everyone is engaged in some work. We're all expending energy. For every moment of our existence. We're always doing something. And imagine, every individual is unique. And out of the billions that live at one time, every individual with their peculiar mental, physical, emotional, and emotional constitution and makeup. Every individual is engaged in some activity. There are billions of people engaged in billions of activities at any one given time. And each is different. And this is what Allah refers to. In the Indeed, your effort is diverse, your endeavor is diverse. But in reality, the verse doesn't speak of billions of activities and efforts and endeavors. He actually narrows everything down to just two. So you in your billions, with your billions of activities and efforts and endeavors and works and deeds, all of it boils down to just two things. Good or bad. And good or bad, not as you think, not as you decide, but as Allah declares. And that's why in one hadith, Rasulullah, related by Imam Muslim, Rahmatullahi alayhi sahih, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentions very beautifully, كُلُّ النَّاسِ يَغْضُ فَبَائِعُ النَّفْسَهِ فَمُعَدِّقُهَا أَوْ مُوبِقُهَا Each morning, Everyone goes out. Although the word is literally morning, it doesn't mean it has to be at that time of the day. But that's the origin of the word. But just as people go out in the morning, the figurative translation of the hadith will be, Every person, each individual of the people, goes out. Goes out to do what? To do something. He's always engaged in something. So every individual goes out and trades his soul. Every morning when we go out, we either make or break our soul. We trade our soul. And then the Prophet ﷺ says, Every person goes out and trades their soul. So then he will either emancipate and free his soul and give it salvation, or he will cause it ruin and destruction. Simple. Every morning when we wake up, when we begin our day's activities, we are trading our soul. We're engaged in trade. 
And this isn't the trade of objects or bartering or money or currency, gold or silver or cash and currency. We are engaged in the business of trading ourselves. And in each activity, we either save our souls or we destroy them. It's a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So it's simple. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala narrows everyone's activity and endeavor down to just two things. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam does exactly the same. Either salvation or damnation. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues in the sa'yukum la shatta, indeed your effort is diverse. فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَةِ Here Allah mentions three qualities and characteristics of a person. So as for one who gives, وَالتَّقَى And who guards himself. وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَةِ And who attests to good. That's the believer. So let's take the third characteristic first. وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى And who believes in the good. Husna means the good. And the reference here is Iman, Islam, Quran, belief in Allah. Ultimately it means Iman. So who attests to and believes in Iman. So that's the first characteristic, Iman. And being a believer, that Iman does certain things. That iman leads to certain behaviors. And what are they? All three are linked. They are not in isolation. Iman encourages a person to behave in a certain way. Belief and faith lead a person to behave in a certain way. And the other two characteristics that are mentioned that are the result of a person's faith and iman and belief, are taqwa. I mentioned many times before, taqwa is often translated as fear, the fear of Allah. It's a very simple translation, but it's not a comprehensive, conclusive translation of the word taqwa. Taqwa means to guard oneself from the displeasure of Allah by guarding oneself from the disobedience of Allah. And everything that that phrase contains. And that it entails. So iman leads to taqwa. Proper iman leads to proper taqwa. And proper taqwa leads a person to spending in the way of Allah. And interestingly, the, word, the, the words aren't for ammaman anfaq. That which you spend. Rather the words are for ammaman a'ta. As for one who gives. So what's the difference between giving and spending? What's the difference between infaq and i'ta? Infaq means to spend in the way of Allah. I'ta means to give in the way of Allah. And both are used in the Quran. Ma anfaqtum min nafaqa. Whatever you spend, that is also used. But here, specifically, in this very comprehensive and succinct description of good people, Allah simply mentions iman, taqwa, 
and giving. Not spending, giving. So what's the difference between giving and spending? Very subtle but beautiful difference. When a person spends, you can spend in order to retrieve something. You can spend in order to receive something in return. Spending is a form of currency. When a person gives, they give. There is nothing expected in return. They detach themselves totally from that item. They don't spend per se, they genuinely give it away. So, as for one who gives and is conscious of Allah and guarding of himself in relation to Allah, and who attests to the good, i.e., the truth of Islam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what, we, what shall we do for him in reward? We shall ease him unto ease. And the meaning of ease him unto ease is both in relation to this world as well as the hereafter. The greatest ease, the greatest comfort, the greatest relief will be Jannah. And that will be his ultimate destiny. But Allah will pave a path for him to Jannah. And one meaning of we shall ease him unto ease is that we shall enable him to do even more good. Good leads to good, which will ultimately lead to Jannah. And this is a very subtle but again beautiful meaning expounded in a number of verses of the Holy Qur'an. In that virtue, good deeds create a momentum. And they push and propel a person along the path of virtue. Each good deed makes a subsequent good deed easier. And far more comfortable. Far more natural. Until good becomes second nature to a person. That becomes part of their character. But equally so, as we will learn in the later verses, when Allah says, For We shall ease him unto difficulty. And the greatest discomfort and difficulty, the greatest pain will and anguish will be that of punishment and perdition in the hereafter. But Allah will also pave a, per- a path for that person towards that perdition. And that means that each sin leads to another sin. Each sin creates a momentum for subsequent sins. And each sin makes the next sin easier and more natural and more comfortable. Until sinning, rebellion, disloyalty to Allah, disobedience and transgression. All of these things become second nature to a person. And when a person sins, this propels him along that path of iniquity and sin. We will, dis- we will discuss that later. But for Sunniya, here Allah says, as for one who gives and who guards himself in relation to Allah and who attests to the good, then what shall we do in reward? We shall ease him unto ease. 
And that means we shall enable him to do even more good. And there are many verses throughout the Qur'an. In fact, right at the beginning, after Surah Al-Fatiha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and ponder over these beginning verses of Surah Al-Baqarah. Alif Lam Mim, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ هُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ Alif Lam Mim, this book, there is no doubt therein. Hudal lil a guidance for those who have taqwa. So, and these are the very first words of Surah Al-Baqarah and the Holy Quran immediately after Surah Al-Fatiha. So Allah says this book is a guidance for who? The whole of mankind? No, of course, that's true also because it's mentioned elsewhere. But here, Allah doesn't say it's a book which is a means of guidance for the whole of mankind. For the believers, not even for the, for the Muslims, not even for the Muslims. For the believers, not even just for the believers. Hudan lil muttaqeen. A guidance for the people of taqwa. So the people of taqwa are normally the elite. So we're talking about a very restricted number of people. So why does Allah say at the very beginning of the Qur'an that this book is a means of guidance? Not for the whole of mankind, not for those who submit, not for those who pronounce the articles of faith, not for the believers who are sinful, not just for the Muslims or the Mu'mineen, but specifically for that elite group of muttaqeen, those who have taqwa. Very simple. Of course the Qur'an is a means of guidance for the whole of mankind. But the more a person is guided into belief, the more taqwa a person has, the more conscious a person becomes of Allah, the greater the taqwa a person acquires, the greater the secrets and the wisdoms of the Holy Qur'an that Allah opens to his mind. A person of taqwa, for him or her, the Qur'an's guidance and hidayah and illumination are all on a totally different level to, to another person. So just reflect on those words, This is what I mean by the more good we do, the more doors to good Allah opens for us. The more good we do, the greater virtues Allah enables us to do. The more virtue we engage in, the more good deeds we perform, the more good works we do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pushes and propels us along that path of virtue, of righteousness, of good, of piety, of taqwa, of iman, and of actually discovering the wisdoms and the truths of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an. That's why in another verse, وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ وَيُعَلِّمُكُمُ اللَّهِ And fear Allah, be conscious of Allah, guard yourselves in relation to Allah, وَيُعَلِّمُكُمُ اللَّهِ And Allah will teach In another verse, in Surah Muhammad, وَالَّذِينَ اهْتَدَوْا زَادَهُمْ هُدًا وَآتَاهُمْ تَقْوَاهُمْ And as for those who have found guidance, 
As for those who have found guidance, Allah increases them in guidance and grants them their taqwa. So they have already found guidance. So what more guidance does Allah give them? Allah gives them another level of hidayah and guidance. And Allah gives them taqwa. In another verse, وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَهَادِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِلَىٰ صَرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ And verily, Allah is surely the one to guide those who have believed. Guide them to what? إِلَىٰ صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ To a straight path. But surely they are already on the straight path by virtue of the fact that they have believed. By virtue of the fact that they are believers. They are already on a straight path. So what's the meaning of وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَهَادِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِلَىٰ صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ Verily, Allah is the one who surely guides those who have believed to a straight path. The path that Allah guides them is a path narrower and straighter and more virtuous than even the normal straight path. Each hidayah leads to greater hidayah. Each virtue leads to greater virtues. Each good deed leads to greater good deeds. And that's the meaning of We shall ease him unto ease. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Continuing from where we left off before salah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى فَسَنِيَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى As for one who gives and guards himself and attests to the good, then we shall ease him unto ease. And the ultimate ease and comfort is Jannah. For Allah paves a path to Jannah for that person, making it very easy for him or her tread that path and to make their way to Jannah. Each good deed opens doors for other good deeds. Each virtue leads to another virtue. This is why we should never become despondent. We should never give up hope, even in ourselves. Sometimes we feel or we fear that we are evil, we are terrible. We are no good. As a result... We feel that any good we do is futile, meaningless, fruitless. You won't achieve anything. And what's one drop of a good deed in an ocean of sin? But we should never lose hope. No matter how many times we fall, we should rise and continue. As long as we do it sincerely. The truth is, as they say, if there's a will, there's a way. If a person is sincere, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides that person and creates opportunities for that person. Never give up hope. And even one good deed can lead a person to another good deed. Allah then says, And as for one who is miserly, 
and deems himself independent, needless of Allah. وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَى And who rejects and belies the good. Again, the good is Islam and Iman and faith in Allah and the Qur'an. This is the other person. Here Allah mentions two people. They are both very different. As different as night and day by which Allah swears in the beginning of the surah. The contrast that exists between night and day. That is the same distinction and contrast between the first person and the second person. The first person has three qualities. Belief. Taqwa. A connection to Allah. Guarding oneself from Allah. From his displeasure. And giving. But the other person is a total opposite. And each verse is the direct opposite of its corresponding verse in the other relating to the other person. For man a'ta, as for one who gives here, wa man bakhil, as for one who is miserly. In the other one, wattaqa, his relationship with Allah is such that he is fearful of Allah. He is he guards himself or herself, or she guards herself from the displeasure of Allah. But here, wastaghna, he deems himself independent and needless of Allah. He doesn't care. And number three, he husna he attests to the good. And this one, وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَى He belies and rejects the good. Belief, disbelief. The fear of Allah. And here, deeming oneself independent and needless of Allah. And giving there, and here, withholding. Being tight-fisted and miserly and stingy. And all three qualities are related. One creates the other. One gives momentum to the other. When a person believes, true iman gives rise to taqwa. True taqwa makes a person selfless. Their focus is on Allah and on the akhirah, on the hereafter. Not on the dunya and its material. And that means their relationship with wealth is such. Truly, a person can only have a relationship with wealth or they can have a relationship with Allah. With only one of the two. A person can't have a relationship with wealth, with materialism, and with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In Surah Al-Ahzab, Allah says, مَا جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لِرَجْلٍ مِّنْ قَلْبَيْنَ فِي جَوْفِهِ Allah has not made two hearts in the bosom of man. And here, so here, what's the contrast between the two? One is muttaqi in his relationship with Allah. And the other one is mustaghni in his relationship with Allah. But both of them are attached to something. One is attached to Allah, detached from wealth. That's why he gives wealth away. The other is detached from Allah but attached to wealth. That's why he holds on to it. And a believer is not a believer attached to wealth if Allah gives him wealth. A true believer is one for whom wealth is something that comes and goes. 
Wealth comes in the hands. It doesn't enter the heart. So when it goes from the hand, there's no pain in the heart. When it comes into one's hands, there's no great joy and bliss in one's heart. Of course, there is shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his gift. But there's no permanent attachment. Wealth comes and goes. That's why for a true mu'min who has true taqwa, giving is so easy. Allah may bless a person with wealth, but that wealth is fine as long as it doesn't enter the heart. And we are strange in that we can have empty hands, the heart, but a heart full of love, full of the love of wealth. And what a believer should be, is that whether the hand is full of wealth or not, the heart should be empty of the love of that wealth. (coughs) When a person is attached to wealth and not attached to Allah, then no matter how much wealth a person has, it's never enough, it's never sufficient. That's why Rasulullah says, Wealth is not the excess of goods. Rather, wealth is the wealth of the heart. That's why in another hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ أَسْلَمْ وَالرُّزِقَ كَفَافَ وَقَنَّعَهُ اللَّهُ بِمَا آتَاهُ Indeed, has succeeded that person who submits and becomes a Muslim. And to whom Allah gives... Sufficient wealth. And not even wealth. The word kafaf means sufficient provisions. So indeed has succeeded he who has submitted and become a Muslim and whom Allah has blessed with sufficient provisions. And then Allah makes him content with what he has given. That's what we should be seeking, contentment of the heart. And the contentment of the heart can come with a single simple meal and a single piece of cloth and even the shelter of leaves. But the lack of contentment will bite a person in their heart and mind even if they possess billions. That's why wealth and riches are not excessive possessions, but rather it's the wealth and the richness and the contentment of the heart, as Rasulullah says. So these three qualities are related. Each one gives rise to another. Each one influences the other. Giving away taqwa and iman are all connected. Bukhl, stinginess, miserliness, tight-fistedness, and detachment from Allah, and deeming oneself needless and independent of Allah, and rejecting the good and the truth, these are all connected to. When a person has these three qualities of rejection of the truth and good, 
of detachment from Allah and deeming oneself and regarding oneself independent and needless of Allah. And as a result, withholding many, being tight-fisted. It's a fact. We, we see that the ones who give the most are the poorest. And the ones who are the stingiest and the most miserly and tight-fisted are the ones with the most wealth. It's a phenomenon observed universally throughout the world. Poor people give more. And we're talking about proportion. A person who gives half of their wealth, a person who gives a thousand pounds, and that's half of their saving, is a greater philanthropist than someone who has billions and gives away a hundred million. That's pocket change. So the poorest always tend to give the most. And the wealthiest, invariably, by proportion, are more withholding than others. So anyone who has these three qualities, of the rejection of the truth and good, of detachment from Allah and deeming themselves independent and needless of Allah, and withholding wealth and not sharing and not giving, Allah says of them, We shall ease them into difficulty. That means the greatest difficulty and discomfort will be in the hereafter. But before that, in the dunya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will pave a path of sin for them. What does that mean? Just as I said earlier on, good leads to good. Virtue opens doors for greater virtues. A good deed makes a subsequent good deed easier, more natural, more comfortable, almost second nature. Similarly, a sin. One sin opens doors to other sins. Until it becomes a habit. Second nature. Each sin makes the next sin lighter. And less consequential in the person's mind. Until they treat it trivially. And when a person embarks on that journey of sinning, then the two paths diverge. They go in different directions. So a person becomes further and further away from good and virtue. And there are many such warnings in the Quran. Just as Allah increases those in guidance who are already on guidance and gives them taqwa, just as Allah gives greater tawfiq and enablement and opportunity for people to do good who are already doing good. Similarly, each sin creates a momentum for a subsequent sin. And there are many warnings of the Qur'an regarding this. For instance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَن يُشَاقِقِ الرَّسُولَ مِن بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيِّنَ لَهُ الْهُدَىٰ وَيَتَّبِعَ غَيْرَ سَبِيلِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ نُوَلِّهِ مَا تَوَلَّى وَنُصْلِهِ جَهَنَّمُ وَسَاعَةُ مُصِيرًا Allah says, and whoever disobeys the messenger, or opposes, here the word means opposes, and whoever opposes the messenger, after the guidance has become clear for them, and follows a path other than the path of the believers, originally meaning the companions of the Allah. What will Allah do? 
He who opposes the messenger and adopts a path other than the path of the mu'mineen, the believers. Allah says, We shall turn him in the direction to which he has turned himself. And we shall thrust him into Jahannam. وَسَاءَتْ مُصِيرًا Evil and abode it is. So if a person chooses the path of sin and iniquity and transgression and rebellion, Allah pushes them along that path. The reward for a good deed is not only in the akhirah. Allah rewards a person for a good deed by enabling them to do another good deed. And the punishment for a sin is another sin. This is why in one verse of the Qur'an, we spoke about truth recently. In the story of the hadith of Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu And I mentioned that famous hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and others. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Alaykum bis-sidq. Adhere to the truth. فَإِنَّ الصِّدْقَ يَهْدِي إِلَى الْبِرِ Because truthfulness... Truthfulness guides to virtue. When a person is true, that being honest and true itself leads a person and guides them to greater virtue and righteousness. And virtue leads a person to Jannah. And then he continues, And a man speaks the truth and continues to speak the truth and seeks opportunities to speak the truth until he is recorded as a siddiq, a voracious person in the sight of Allah. What leads them to that siddiq? Every act of honesty, every moment of truth leads them to great truth. But then the hadith continues, وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَالْكَذِبِ And beware of lying. فَإِنَّ الْكَذِبَ يَهْدِي إِلَى الْفُجُورِ For indeed lying leads a person to sin, guides to sin. وَإِنَّ الْفُجُورِ يَهْدِي إِلَى النَّارِ And fujur, sinfulness, guides a person to the fire. وَمَا يَزَارُ الرَّجْلُ يَكْذِبِ And a man continues to lie. وَيَتْحَرَّ الْكَذِبِ And seek opportunities to lie. Until he is registered as a serial, excessive, abundant liar in the sight of Allah. How does a person reach that grade? Each act of lying, each act of dishonesty creates momentum for subsequent acts of dishonesty and lying. And this leads me to that verse which I was about to mention earlier on. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is in relation to a group of some people who had made promises to Allah that if Allah gives us wealth, we will give in charity. And we will become pious and grateful. So they made a vow and a promise that if Allah gives us wealth, we will spend, we will give, we will share. But they were insincere. So Allah says, So when Allah did give them of His grace and bounty, what did they do? They were miserly and stingy with that wealth. And they turned away whilst being negligent. 
So what did Allah do? Allah punished them in this dunya. But how did Allah punish them? Allah punished their insincerity and their false oath and their false promise. How? With further misdeeds and sins. How? فَأَعْقَبَهُمْ نِفَاقًا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ إِلَىٰ يَوْمِ يَلْقَوْنُهُ بِمَا أَخْلَفُ اللَّهَ مَا وَعَدُوهُ وَبِمَا كَانُوا يَكْذِبُونَ I'll translate the verse from backwards so that it makes it easier to understand. بِمَا أَخْلَفُ اللَّهَ مَا وَعَدُوهُ وَبِمَا كَانُوا يَكْذِبُونَ Because of the fact that they were faithless and disloyal to Allah in what they promised Him. Because of the fact that they betrayed Allah in what they promised Him. And because of the fact that they were lying, what did Allah do? فَعَقَبُهُمْ نِفَاقًا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ Allah created hypocrisy in their hearts to last till the day of judgment. So the hypocrisy that seeped into their hearts was itself a punishment for their earlier lying and for their earlier false promises. Each sin creates further sins. And the punishment of a sin is another sin. And this is why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says in that famous hadith again of Bukhari and Muslim related by Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As radiyallahu anhuma Arba'un min kunna fihi kana munafiqan khalisa وَمَنْ كَانَتْ فِيهِ خَصْلَةٌ مِّنْهُنْ كَانَتْ فِيهِ خَصْلَةٌ مِّنَ النِّفَاقِ حَتَّى يَدَعَهَا إِذَا أَتُمِنَ خَانٌ وَإِذَا حَدَّثَ كَذَبٌ وَإِذَا عَاهَدَ غَدَرٌ وَإِذَا خَاصَمَ فَجَرٌ There are four things, four traits. If found in a person, all four, then he is a pure hypocrite. مُنَافِقٌ خَالِصًا A pure hypocrite. And if one of these four deeds or traits are found in him, then he has in him a trait of hypocrisy until he removes it. And the four are, when he is entrusted with a trust, he is treacherous. Number two, when he speaks, he lies. Number three, when he makes a promise, he betrays. And number four, when he falls into disputes with someone, then he sins. I.e. he takes the disagreement beyond its bounds. Now if all four are to be found in a person, then that person is a pure hypocrite. And if, if all four are not to be found, then he has in him a trait of hypocrisy. Now, what does this hadith signify? You know what this hadith signifies? Exactly what the verse says. If a person doesn't control that line, or that treachery, or those false promises, then that line, those false promises, that treacherous behavior, will lead to other traits amongst these four, until all four settle in a person's heart. And then... As Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi relates in his Sahih, both Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim relate the same hadith from Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an, but this is the wording of Sahih Muslim. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Ayatul munafiq thalathun. There are three, the signs of the hypocrites are three. And then he mentions the three. And they're famous. That when he speaks, 
He lies. And when he's entrusted with a trust, he's treacherous. When he makes a promise, he breaks that promise. And when he is entrusted with a trust, he's treacherous. This is a famous hadith of Al-Bukhari and Muslim. But as I've mentioned before, the wording of Sahih Muslim is slightly longer. And part of that hadith is, وَإِن صَامَ وَصَلَّى وَزَعَمَ أَنَّهُ Muslim. Even if he fasts and prays and claims to be a Muslim. So when these four traits of hypocrisy settle in a person's heart, person can continue to pray and fast and claim to be a Muslim. But Allah forbid, if hypocrisy has set in, then? So each sin leads to another sin. And a punishment of a sin can be another sin itself. So this is the meaning of We shall ease him into difficulty. Allah then says, وَمَا يُغْنِي عَنْهُ مَالُهُ إِذَا تَرَدَّى This person who is attached to his riches and deems himself independent and needless of Allah, his wealth will not avail him, will not save him when he falls, i.e. into the fire of Jahannam, when he perishes. His wealth will not save him when he perishes. Indeed. We are all going to die. And even before the greater Qiyamah, we will have the lesser Qiyamah, which is our death. And to work so hard that we acquire and amass so much wealth, and in its process we wreck our health, our sanity, and our relationship with Allah, what do we get at the end of it? We merely become the richest person in the graveyard. That's our ultimate destiny. And that's the meaning When he falls, when he perishes, when he is lowered into the grave, his wealth will not avail him of anything. His wealth will not save him. Not at all. It'll do him no good. In a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says that when a person dies, three things follow him. His family, his wealth, and his deeds. And when he is buried, two things return, and one thing remains with him. His family returns, and his wealth returns. And all that remains with him are his deeds. So this whole, this very wealth, because of which he wrecked his relationship with Allah, and he deemed himself independent and needless of Allah, and this wealth that he was so attached to, that he held on to it so tightly during his life, and would never share, would never give, that all of that same wealth will not be able to save him in any way when he falls into his grave or when he perishes. Whether it's the lesser perishing of death or the greater perishing of damnation in the akhirah, in the hereafter. Allah then says, Inna huda." Indeed, upon us is surely guidance. Meaning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Our duty is to guide you is to tell you, 
is to show you. As Allah says in Surah Al-Shams, which inshallah we'll be covering in the next tafsir. وَنَفْسٍ وَمَا سَوَّاهَا فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا And by Allah, by He who fashioned and molded the soul, and having molded the soul, Allah inspired the soul to both its virtue and its sin. Allah has shown us the way. وَهَدَيْنَاهُمْ نَجْدَيْنُ In another verse, and we have showed him the two paths of good and evil. Here as well, Allah says, we've told you that the whole of creation, every individual of creation, will ultimately fall into one of these two groups. Our duty is to show you, to guide you, to inform you. It's your duty to choose one of the two destinies. To make one of the two efforts. To make your endeavour fit one of these two descriptions. وَإِنَّ لَنَا لَلْآخِرَةُ وَالْأُولَىٰ Allah says, and verily, to us, and it's exclusive, to us, meaning only to us, belongs the afterlife and the former life. Meaning, whatever you do, the world will never be yours. Wealth will never be yours. The world and its wealth, the earth and its treasures, and not just this earth, but the universe, not just in this life, but the whole of creation, and everything that exists in this life and in the afterlife, all belong to Allah. So why do you wish to secure so much just for yourselves? Everything belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the meaning of the verse is we live and we act as though it belongs to us. That's why in one verse Allah says, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ مَا أُرِيدُ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ رِزْقٍ وَمَا أُرِيدُ أَنْ يُطْعِمُونَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الرَّزَّاقُ ذُو الْقُوَّةِ الْمَتِينَ And I have not created man except that they serve me. I do not seek any sustenance from them. And I do not seek that they feed me. Verily, Allah, He is the one who is the great sustainer. And the one almighty. And full of power and strength. Now one of the meanings of that verse is, why does Allah mention that? I don't seek any sustenance from them or that they feed me. Is that, we amass wealth and collect it and gather it as though we have to feed not only ourselves but the whole of creation and not just the whole of creation but even the creator. So Allah says, I have not created man except that they serve me. But serve me through ibadah, through loyalty through obedience, through worship. Not serve me by working so hard as though they have to feed me. So here as well, in to us belong the afterlife and the former life. Allah then continues, Having said earlier that it is upon us to guide, here he says, so, 
فَأَنْذَرْتُكُمْ I have now warned you. نَارٌ تَلَظَّى Of a fire that rages and flames. لَا يَصْلَاهَا إِلَّا الْأَشْقَى Will not enter the fire except the one who is most wretched. He who rejects. الَّذِي كَذَّبُ وَتَوَلَّى He who rejects and turns away. This is a continuation of the former description. Someone who doesn't give, doesn't share, rejects the good and the truth, and detaches oneself from Allah, such a person will be the most wretched. But conversely, in opposites, Allah Azzawajal says, وَسَيُجَنَّبُهَا الْأَتْقَى And the one who is the most fearing and guarding in relation to Allah, that person will be saved from the fire. Taqwa will save a person. And what are some of the characteristics of taqwa? Again, they were mentioned earlier. The three were belief in the good. Taqwa and sharing and giving. Here, the surah expands on that. So Allah says, that's the most fearful and guarding will be saved from the fire. He who, and then Allah mentions his description. He who gives his wealth in order to seek purity, to purify himself. He gives wealth sincerely. Iman leads a person to taqwa, taqwa leads a person to sharing and giving in the way of Allah sincerely. Without seeking any recompense. And then Allah describes that. وَمَا لِأَحَدٍ عِنْدَهُ مِنْ نِعْمَةٍ تُجْزَى Meaning he gives and he shares his wealth. Not as a currency, so that they may gain something in return. No. Allah says, وَمَا لِأَحَدٍ عِنْدَهُ مِنْ نِعْمَةٍ And no one has a favor outstanding with this person that needs to be repaid. وَمَا لِأَحَدٍ عِنْدَهُ مِنْ نِعْمَةٍ And there is no favor of any person outstanding by him, tudza that needs to be repaid. So a person doesn't give in payment for an earlier virtue or an earlier favor. Rather, without any obligation, without any compulsion, freely, willingly, and with total sincerity and selflessness, that muttaqi, that believer, gives in the way of Allah. And through that, he purifies himself. And this is mentioned in another verse of the Qur'an where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises those who share and who give in charity and who shall be given the greatest bliss of Jannah and its blessings. Allah says, Of them, that when they give, when they share, their words are, إِنَّمَا نُطْعِمُكُمْ لِوَجْهِ اللَّهِ لَا نُرِيدُ مِنْكُمْ جَزَاءٌ وَلَا شَكُورًا We feed you only for the sake of Allah. We do not seek any reward or even gratitude from That's how sincere a believer should be when he or she gives in the way of Allah. We don't seek any repayment. And forget repayment. We don't even wait for thanks. And if we are offended that the other person didn't show gratitude, 
They should, otherwise it's to their loss. Because in the hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Man lam He who is not grateful to the people is not grateful to Allah. But if the recipient of our, of our donation and our charity doesn't express any gratitude, should it hurt us? Should it insult us? Should we feel indignant? Should we feel slighted in any way? No. Because if we do, then it means that we gave and we shared, maybe not for a reward or an award, but we shared at least for gratitude. The best charity is that which is given in secrecy. And if given openly, even that is virtuous. But even when giving openly, a person's intention should be sincere. Sometimes a charity given openly is better than that given secretly. If, for instance, it encourages and motivates and inspires others to do the same, and others to spend as well, then if a person does that sincerely, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu when he was Amir al-Mu'mineen, and his army conquered Persia, and they captured the imperial capital of Sasanid Persia, with all its riches, its fabled riches, and the jewelry, and the treasures, the commander sent one simple companion, radiyallahu an, to Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiyallahu an, with some of these treasures, to deliver them. And he brought them and he submitted them to Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiyallahu an, as a mark of their victory. So Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu an said, and what is your name? And he said, he who needs to know knows. He never disclosed his name to Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu an. He carried out such a feat. Imagine, it was a mark of honor for him that he was bringing back the captured treasures, the fabled and legendary treasures of the Persian emperors. But when he delivered them to Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu an, Sayyidina Umar said, what's your name? And he said, he who needs to know, knows. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in that famous hadith, again related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim from Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu and by others, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentions seven traits, seven people. The hadith begins with the word, سَبْعَةٌ يُذِلُّهُمُ اللَّهُ فِي ذِلِّهِ يَوْمَ لَا ذِلَّ إِلَّا ذِلُّهُ There are seven people whom Allah will give a shade on the day when there shall be no shade except His shade. And one of the people is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said وَرَجُلٌ تَصَدَّقَ بِصَدَقَهُ فَأَخْفَاهَا حَتَّى لَا تَعْلَمَ الشِّمَالُهُ مَا تُنْفِقُ يَمِينُهُ And a man who gives in charity but he conceals the charity so much so that his left hand does not know what his right hand has spent. Such a person, Allah will grant him a shade, a space, a space in his shade on the day when there shall be no shade except his shade. So when a person gives in the way of Allah, it should be done with utmost sincerity. And in such a way that a person does not demand, does not expect, does not hope, not even for any reward or award, but not even for any gratitude. 
He, and there is no outstanding favor. It's done selflessly and sincerely. He gives only, Allah says in the second last verse, إِلَّا He gives only to seek the countenance of His Lord the Most High. He only does it for the sake of Allah, for Allah. And someone who does it in such a manner, Allah ends the surah by saying, وَلَسَوْفَ يَرْضَى And Allah will be pleased with such a person. These final verses, although it's mentioned often that these verses were revealed about Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu the truth is that these verses were revealed in the very early days of Islam. And there are some narrations that suggest that they were revealed even before Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq anhu's many acts of charity. So undoubtedly, he is the prime example of someone who spends in the way of Allah selflessly, who gave all of his wealth. This is why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said in his final farewell speech, in, uh, in one of his farewell speeches in Medina, not too long before he passed away and left this world, that indeed the kindest to me and the one who has shown me the most favor of all the people in his company and in his wealth is Abu Bakr. He was the most generous. And when Sahaba radiallahu anhum gave of their wealth, no one could compete with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa on one occasion, he said to Umar ibn al-Khattab, Oh Umar, what have you brought? And he said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, I have brought half of my wealth. And Umar radiallahu anhu had said to himself that if on any occasion I am to beat and rival Abu Bakr, then it will be today. So he said, I brought half of my wealth. When Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu came, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, O oh, Abu Bakr, what have you brought? And his words were, I have left Allah and his Rasul at home. I have left Allah and his messenger for my family. And speaking of, he has no favor, outstanding, and he does it for no such consideration. His father, who hadn't embraced Islam yet, when he saw his son Abu Bakr spending so freely and freeing slaves in the earliest days of Islam, his father actually said to him, Imam Hakim rahmatullahi relates this hadith in his al-mustadrak. This is what I was saying earlier, that there are some narrations which suggest that Abu Bakr radiallahu an did what he did because of these verses, not that the verses were revealed because of him. So this is why he is a prime example, the first and foremost candidate for these verses. But Imam Hakim rahmatullahi relates a hadith that his father said to him, Oh, oh, oh my son, you free slaves and you save them and rescue them from their cruel masters. But the people you free are all weak, with no strength and no support. So wouldn't it be better if you did free those slaves who had some support and some backing, so that when you free them, they would be under a great obligation to you, and they could help you, support you, and assist you. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, Father, 
I only free them because of what Allah has said. And then he recited these verses of the Qur'an. That he gives only to purify himself, and not because of any outstanding favor. He only gives for the sake of Allah, to seek the countenance of Allah, his Lord the Most High. And he will be content. I end with this. There is so much to say about these verses, but I suffice with this. Let me quickly translate the surah again. I won't read the Arabic, just a quick translation. Allah Azzawajal says, By the night when it conceals, and the day when it appears in its full glory, and by the creation of, the, of man and woman, verily, your endeavours are diverse. So as for one who gives, and who fears Allah, and who attests to the good, then we shall ease him unto ease. And as for one who is miserly and deems himself independent and needless of Allah and who rejects the good, then we shall ease him unto difficulty. And his wealth will not save him when he perishes. Verily, it is upon us to guide. And indeed, verily, to us belong the first life, the afterlife and the former life. So I have warned you of a fire that flames would not enter it except that most wretched one who rejects and who turns away. And that most fearing one will be saved from it who gives his wealth to purify himself. And there is no outstanding favour of anyone by him to be repaid. He gives only to seek the countenance of his Lord the Most High, and he will be pleased. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us amongst them. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasooli nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.